good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff, episode number 59, and my cohort, my compadre, my partner in crime, Mr. Tony Viss is with me as always. Mr. Viss, how are you this fine evening? Doing well, still kind of perplexed. You know, a week ago it was 90s here, and now we're getting frost in the cars in the morning. So, yeah. uh, you know, if they say if you don't like the weather, wait 24 hours. So yep. just trying to figure out what's going on and maybe get my degree in meteorology. Yeah, we did the uh, did the whole thing where we turned on the heater on the way to work and we turned on the air conditioning on the way home from work. So <laughs> uh, you just you just got to love the Midwest, Tony, the, the, the yes. balmy, the balmy, consistent weather that we have here. So. Uh, but hey, we are here, um, back and better than ever, as they say, episode number 59. And Tony uh, saw a tweet from Greg Berg again. And, and if you're not following his stuff, at GB1121, he's got some really, really terrific stuff out there. So go check him out if you haven't already. And he was talking a little bit about coaching myths. Myths, excuse me. And that's going to be our topic for this week. But very quickly, we have to get through our uniform numbers for number 59. Tony, we have one number 59. That's it. Linebacker for the Steelers. His name? I'm going to go with Lambert, Jack Lambert. Wrong Jack. Jack Ham. Jack Ham. Yep. Was Lambert 57? I thought he was like 52, maybe? Yeah, I think I don't know. It was Mike Webster, wasn't it? Oh, Mike Webster was uh, 52. Yeah, you're right there. He was 58. Yeah, because we said him last week. But yeah. I always get the two Jacks mixed up. That's all right. Um, it, good thing this quiz doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, no horsey sauce with your roast beef this week. It's all right. <laughs> try, try what to get, happens. Try to get your way through it. Uh, <laughs> you, you only get one trip through the uh, chicken part of the Pizza Ranch Buffet. We found a uh, roasted chicken uh, place here in Cedar Rapids, Miguel's. Maybe the best roasted chicken I've ever tasted in my life. It was it was unbelievable. Some coworkers recommended it. So if you're ever this way, I might have to take you to Miguel's. Uh-huh. Well, well, we'll see what we can do. I, I, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm hip to that okay. scene. So, um, all right. Episode number 59, coaching myths. And like I said, Greg Berg is the, is the guy that gave us this list. We want to give credit where credit is due. He put out six initial myths and, and Tony and I thought it was pretty fascinating. Um, I agree with a lot that he says. I and, and Tony and I were kind of texting back and forth or messaging or whatever. We we're, we're doing something and, it's like you could almost have a podcast on all six of these bullet points. Like we could have filled six, six, the next six podcasts with the with these six bullet points. Don't you think, Tony? Yeah, and he's becoming one of my favorite follows on Twitter. It seems like he puts out you know gold or whatever, uh, you know, multiple times each week. And this one just really resonated, and it, it really hit home a lot of these things. And like you said, I mean, we could sit here and for the next six weeks go through all of them, but. Uh, we won't go quite get into that type of detail. Yeah, so let's let's dive in here. Um, the six myths here, uh, and we're just going to go in the order that Greg had it on his tweet. Winning isn't everything. Uh, parents impact team culture. Now, again, these are myths. Um, are they real? Are they not real? 
Uh, sometimes tough love is needed. Talent does not guarantee success. Over-specialization can hurt athletes. And coaching is more than X's and O's. And, um, yeah, I've, I've got some some pretty strong opinions and some things on, on a lot of this stuff here. Uh, let's just dive in here with the first one, Tony. Winning isn't everything. Do you believe that is a coaching myth or or not? I think it's the truth, you know, just in terms of the fact it isn't everything. You know, I, I look at athletics, and, and obviously we're talking more specifically basketball here, but I look at it as like an avenue to teach you know, life skills. And if all that we ever do is emphasize winning, I think we're, we're shortchanging our young adults, our student athletes that we coach because there's so much more to it than just winning. Um, and so hopefully as they come in and they, hopefully they're learning those life lessons from us and, you know, don't get me wrong. I think winning impacts the enjoyment of it to a, to a large extent. Um, but it is not everything. Mm. I don't think it's everything, but it is something, in, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. I, I believe that this should be a myth, but in reality, it's, 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 a, it's, it isn't. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that I've, I've seen too many examples of coaches who have struggled to have success wins and losses wise, but are doing everything the right way, have lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. And they've put up with all sorts of stuff. Now, you and I both know that when you're not winning consistently, most of the time it's because it's about the Jills and the Joes. Um, it usually has has doesn't have a ton to do with coaching performance. Now, can you have a bad coach in a bad situation who doesn't know what they're doing or is pressing all of the wrong buttons? Absolutely, you can. Uh, but uh, in, in, in many places, winning is not everything. It, it is not. Uh, but without a doubt, um, unfortunately, it's not in all places. And a lot of times we as coaches are told a lot of stuff we're given a lot of lip service uh, and and I know I've I've talked to coaches who have who have gone through this uh, you know uh, Matt Kramer was a guy I interviewed he's the guy he wrote a, a couple of really good books and and he he got let go at two different places uh, and in one place he you know he was implementing a system he was doing this they got a whole new principal athletic director and 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 a year later he was out of a job because he wasn't winning fast enough for for their liking uh, as an example, and Matt talked very plainly about it on the pod. He talks about it very plainly in the books. Um, but, you know, I, I I wish that it wasn't everything, but in some places it is, it is everything. And good people uh, are driven out of coaching because of unrealistic expectations by players, parents, and administrators. And, and so in some ways I, I disagree with this myth uh, because I, I've just seen it play out too many times. Yeah, I mean, there are those places where priorities get out of whack, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's be honest, in a lot of places, you have to win enough to be able to continue to keep your job and do what you want to do, um, which hopefully is to impact young people for the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, in terms of things, you know, winning isn't everything I think is the truth, but in some situations, some places, 
it can be the exception rather than the rule. Yes. I, I do think that you can, I hope this makes sense, Tony. I think that you don't have to win every year as long as the kids have a great experience and and you feel like you've maxed everything out. And, and that's a phrase that I use a lot. You know, not every th- team is going to be a championship team, but let's try and max out everything that we have that we're capable of doing. Uh, and, and there has to be improvement seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have to see improvement from the start of the year uh, to the end of the year. You have to see improvement from year one to year two. You know, and and again, you could be at a place five, six years, especially in, a, in in smaller communities. You run into a tough DNA cycle. You take steps back, winning and losing. Uh, you could bring in Phil Jackson and John Wooden and Mike Shashevsky as the coaching staff, and you're still not going to win a whole lot of games. I mean, there's there's certain barriers that are there. Uh, however, uh, but but you do have to show success, and then uh, and if the kids are having a great experience, then winning is definitely not everything in that regard yeah but you have to have the right people in place to support you and to kind of buy into your vision and those things have to be there as well and if you have that you're on the right path and if you don't have that you can get cut off at the knees and like you mentioned with the guy that you had on the pod it sounded like he ran into some some tough situations in a couple different places and you know our profession is is losing really really good people i think at a much higher rate than what it had been for a number of years um so hopefully we can get things you know turned back around and and keep good people in the right spots and Mm -hmm. keep unrealistic expectations not involved and on the outside yeah um our second you ready to move on to the next one yeah okay uh parents impact team culture I absolutely believe that. I, I absolutely believe that. I think it's important that you sell your parents on your team culture. I think you talk to your parents about ways that, you know, w- without sounding condescending, Tony, you can you can talk to your parents about, hey, this is what really what we need from you this year. If you could do this, if you could do that, uh, you know, please be aware of your body language and, 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 all, and all of these things here. Um but I, I really think that, uh, and again, a lot of my best years were, it was no coincidence that it was some of the most supportive parents that I had, and that the culture of the parents really were was a, was a really positive thing. And that, I believe, really helped the culture of our team, because the players saw great examples portrayed by the parents. And, I, and I'm not talking state championship teams or even state tournament teams, but just great years where we really maxed out. We had a great, we've, we, we've had great parent cultures. And, and I think it is really important and it can affect your team culture and, and your success. Yeah. I would go back to that first one. You know, we gave some exceptions to winning isn't everything on this one, parents impacting team culture. I don't really know if there's any exceptions on that one. I think that 100% is true. Um, you know, if it's one of those things where if your parents are running you down in terms of, you know, the game plan and who plays and, you know, are running other kids down on the team, you know, my kid's better than them. I don't know why they play that type of thing. That obviously impacts in a very, very negative way. But like I think what you're mentioning, one of the roles of a coach to a certain extent, again, it's not condescending 
It's just giving them tools and working with them, not against them. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that coaches have to understand is that parents are more involved and their level of involvement and their, their type of involvement is impacted a decent amount by the coach. And the coach has to provide, like you mentioned, some education in that area in terms of, hey, this is kind of what I expect out of you. And if you can get your parents on board and they're supportive and helping to provide some of those extras, if you will, it can really make it for a great season. And that's not a season that, that you know, only ends in a championship. It can just be a great season because of how much fun you had and how committed everybody was. And when you have parents cheering for other kids besides their own, that's when you know you have something special. Yes. Uh you know, one it, as as I put together my notes for this week's episode, Tony, one of the things that I wrote down here, and I re- I actually highlighted it. What is your plan for implementing your culture with your parents? And I think going in, and most schools have gone to a a parent meeting, a preseason parent meeting. You and I have talked about that before, Tony. Um, that's a great opportunity to talk about those things before we even get started. I think you you're you're really open and honest and i think one of the things that you're most open and honest there's a couple things look i understand i'm not going to make all of you happy it's impossible you know and, and you say that kind of in a in a joking manner i get it i un- understand uh I, I there's probably no way i can make all of you happy and i'm also probably going to do some some things that that will frustrate you or your child and it's it's usually not done on purpose uh, I'm trying to do my the best job that I can. I'm going to make mistakes. Here's some things. I, you know, kind of one of the things I've been working on is a little bit of a do's and don'ts list, um, and and just to be aware of, you know, here's a great example. Here's great things of of, of supportive parents and good positive uh, team first culture parents. And here's some things that you know if if you catch yourself doing this stuff, it's probably not the best thing for our team culture, and. I, I believe that, you know, 95% of our problems as coaches come from two places, either playing time or team placement. Um, that's when it comes to, to parent issues. That's probably where 90 to 95% of it comes from. And if you can kind of do some things to to take that down, to to take that boiling point down a little bit and have some self, uh, self-defecating humor, you know, and... and uh, do those type of things, I think you can help build that culture of your parents and with your parents so that your team culture and your players' culture on a day-to-day basis can be as good as it can be. Yeah, and I, you know, the, the team meeting is a great place to start. There are other things you can implement as well. Uh, we have a parent support group, and I think, you know, attending those meetings once a month, just being present and, you know, kind of setting up a little bit of a, a leadership group there, being involved uh, with your youth programs, you know, and, and the, those future ones that are coming up as well, uh, helping some of the parents as they kind of pass the baton, so to speak, to that next group that's going to come in. I think that's important as well. Um, I like the ideas of the do's and don'ts, uh, just the different classes and stuff with taking things on athletic administration. That was something that they really highlighted is the fact of this is what it looks like. Um, as far as what I need you to do, and this is what I don't need you to do, and then make sure you have some type of plan in place, um, you know, for situations where, like you said, you're not going to make everybody happy, and if you try to do that, the one person you're going to make miserable is yourself, but you need to have in there um, a chain of command, so to speak, like, hey, um, the first step I would encourage you, have your child talk with me. If they're frustrated, have your child come and talk to me, and if they don't like 
that, then we can begin to involve others in that process, uh, whether that's the athletic director, whether that's the parents themselves. Uh, but this is one of the places where uh, they can learn how to advocate for themselves. And I, I really think that's an important step in a safe environment like this to be able to advocate and learn some of those life skills that we talked about in the previous uh, one where winning wasn't everything. Yep. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. All right. We feel good about that one, Tony? Yeah, I yep. feel good on that one. All right. Number three, sometimes tough love is needed. Tony, is that a myth or not? I think it's not. I think it's true because there are times, and, and the one thing you have to understand is sometimes tough love is needed, but not for everyone. Correct. Um, you have some kids on your team that have really soft hearts, and if you go tough love with them, uh, you're going to lose them. But mm -hmm. you have other kids that might have a little bit thicker skin, and you just have to know when they need a pat on the back and, for a lack of a better analogy, a kick in the, in the rear end. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes tough love is needed uh, with certain kids, but not all kids and not all the time. Um, the key word there is sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, sometimes tough love, sometimes a real uh, black and white conversation is needed in our profession and, and coaching our teams. Uh, again, roles, playing time off-the-court decisions. Uh, one of the things that I talk about a lot with my players is when I was a teenager, I was about 15, 16 years old, and I wanted something, and I was, you know, doing the mopey teenager thing, Tony, mm -hmm. and my mom finally said, you know, I love you enough to tell you no. And man, that has stuck with me. Obviously, I was 15, 16 years old. It stuck with me for 35 years. And so, you know, I, I, I really believe that sometimes that tough love, that ability to say, no, you know, I can't play you, Billy, until you quit turning it over every time you touch the ball. Or, or no, Mr. Johnson, uh, your son uh, will not be part of the JV team until he plays better on the freshman team. Uh, and... And so, like you said, I think there's selective enforcement with that. I think tough love, I think you exercise a lot of options before you go to tough love. Yeah. But it is definitely something that you have to be willing to do. And I think one of the things that is hardest for younger coaches, first-time head coaches, is having to be at the point of those tough conversations, those tough love situations, uh, because it's something you have to grow into uh, as a teacher, as a parent, as a coach all those different uh, job descriptions, those are things that you have to really work your way into. So um, we, we've had situations where, where tough love was, was necessary. Uh, we may have situations in this upcoming season where tough love may be necessary. Um, and, and so I, I, I think that a lot of times, uh, what do you think about this statement, Tony? I think there's times where you can kind of anticipate 
where you're going to need to, to to dole out some tough love, don't you think? Going into a season, you've yeah, probably got some you can, ideas. You can, you know, as you learn your players and you kind of learn personalities and different things like that. I think you can maybe anticipate that a little bit. Um, you know, I'd be careful not to jump the gun and make sure that you're reading uh, the situation correctly, and then you know the players well because I think that's the a big part of it. Is you have to know what works with each individual player. Um, it, they're not They're not just, hey, in this situation, do this. I mean, it's, they're not robots. It's not, yep. you know, it's not a science thing. It's more it's, of a It's not a PlayStation thing. game. Yep. Yep. And the other thing, too, is, is tough love isn't always bad from the standpoint of a part of it is, like you said, being able to tell them no because you love them that much. But part of it, they have to learn to get through the struggle that you know somebody's not going to rescue them there's times in life that my best teacher has been failure has been falling on my face and then i figure out i don't want that to happen again Mm -hmm. and then i figure out how not for it to happen again Mm -hmm. but we want to be there to cushion the fall and maybe uh take that that super important lesson away from them and i think we're shortchanging and doing that sometimes uh my good friend dick jungers uh, by the way, uh, congratulations! Yeah, congratulations to to Dick for that. We texted back and forth a little bit this week, so congratulations uh, again. Um, one of the things that he says in his parent meeting, and and I'm I've actually stolen this for this year. He tells his parents, "Your daughter probably a couple of times during the season should probably come home, and they're frustrated with me, and I'm and they're they're kind of mad at me." Because I'm trying to push them to a level that I think that they can get to, and they're just not they they're, they they're unwilling or don't really know how to get there themselves, and I'm trying to push them to that point. And it's okay, kind of like what you're saying. Failure is okay. It's okay if they come home frustrated after a practice. It's okay if they do that. I'm just telling you, it's probably going to happen. And when that happens, you need to prepare yourself as a parent how you're going to handle that. And we've got to help kids work their way through it. And I'm kind of paraphrasing what Dick has told mm-hmm. me that he has said to his parents. And 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 uh, Dick, I, I hope I got it right. Uh, so I, I don't want to misrepresent what he said. But Man, that's that's another one that's really stuck with me, and, and I'm definitely borrowing that for this year's parents' meeting and, and, and talking with our, our players and our parents about that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, as a coach, it's not really coaching them where they're at, so to speak. It's coaching them where they can go and where what they can become, and hopefully we can give them a vision of the greatness that we see within them and then provide a pathway, provide opportunity, provide coaching that helps them make those jumps, that gets them to reach those dreams that they hope to attain. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else on that one, buddy? No, I think I think we're good on that one, too. All right. Talent does not guarantee success. Um, that is not a myth. I believe that is a truth. Uh, just just because you just because you have now you need talent. You need talent, without a doubt. You need talent, but it doesn't guarantee you success. And those levels of success are, uh, how, how would you say it? Uh, every team has a different definition of success for that team that year. Some teams feel like and rightfully show that they should win a state championship. Some teams, if they max out, they win half their games or maybe five games, you know, uh, but but talent uh, just again I, I go back to this it's not a PlayStation game 
It's about roles. It's about chemistry. It's about personalities. Um, and and Tony, I'm going to throw this little grenade in here because uh, I think we've both been there. Sometimes the hardest seasons to coach are the seasons where you have a lot of talent because of all the pressure, the outside influences. Now, it's it's something that we want to have happen. It's a, it's a good thing. But sometimes those seasons are really difficult to coach because you know that, I mean, we're not dummies. We know we should have success. And, but it, you know, it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to have success just because you have a bunch of talented players. Yes. Expectations can be suffocating. Uh, They can steal kind of the joy of playing the game at times. Um, And then I would say that talent sets the floor, but it is definitely not the ceiling. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see many successful teams that are untalented. Um, You know, you want teams that are talented, but you also, like you say, want teams that have chemistry, want teams that buy into the role, want teams that are hardworking, that, you know, put in the extra time because, you know, what's that old phrase, Uh, you know, hard workers beat talent when talent doesn't work hard or something along those lines. You know, that's that's definitely true. Yeah. I, I you you said that there, Tony, role acceptance. And I think the more talented team that you have, the more you have to really hammer in on role acceptance. Um, you know, in our sport, there's one ball. There's only 160 minutes. And, you know, I had a year, one year, and this was a very difficult year. We, uh, we did our preseason survey. I might have said this on the pod before. And we have our – and we had – we didn't have an all-stater, but we had a lot of what we felt like were good players. And we really felt like that our X amount of good players, uh, if, if we could get role acceptance, if we could get everybody to buy in, we, we thought we were going to have a, a really nice team. And so we did our preseason survey. Uh, do, you, do you feel you're on varsity? Do you feel you're on JV? Do you feel you're on the freshman team? Are you a starter or a sub on that team? And probably every year that I do that, uh, we have about six or seven kids that see themselves as a varsity starter, three or four kids that see themselves as a varsity sub, and bloom, you know, on the way down. Okay. Well, this particular year, uh, we had 10 kids that saw themselves as varsity starters and another 10 kids that saw themselves as JV starters. Can you guess what happened? Had a rough year. Uh, it was very difficult. Very, very difficult. And again, that was kind of an, uh, that team had a, nobody was a great player. We had a couple of really good players and then a bunch of nice supporting players. And the the idea was to play nine or 10 kids and wear teams out and do this and that. And we just could not get kids to buy into their roles uh, because they would just sit there and they're counting minutes and kind of going back to the one where we talked about parents influencing, influencing team culture. We had, you know, uh, we dealt with the stopwatches in the stands, not literally, but in the, in the parents' minds and, and all that other stuff. And so those talented teams, especially when you do not have, uh, the mindset of role acceptance, no matter what you do, man, that's that's a tough thing to, to fight. And I also really think that you just can't roll it out. I, I think sometimes when you feel like you have a talented team, 
that's the, those are the years where you coach less on the X's and O's because that'll take care of itself if you're talented enough. Those are the years where you spend extra time on off-the-court activities, team-building activities, role acceptance activities, those type of things, because ultimately that's going to get you over the hump from 18 to 20 games, maybe from 20 to 22 games in the state tournament, uh, and, and then maybe from just getting to the state tournament to winning state championship. Those things, those internal dynamics, believe me, have a huge role on things. Most definitely. And, and what you're describing is kind of like what I get each year. Uh, you know, We have two freshman teams. So I have 10 guys coming in thinking that they're starters. I have 16 guys that probably think they're going to play. And a big part of my role is to get them to understand and accept and different things as they get ready to go up the, the ladder in the years, you know, whether that's JV or varsity, junior, senior year, whatever the case may be. But that's that's a big part of it. And so, you know, what you're talking about is the team building and the team bonding and things like that that are so super important, um, because when you do have talent. Not that it always takes care of itself. Don't be wrong. You want to work on execution and late game situations and help side defense and rotations mm-hmm. and all that fun stuff. Yeah, no. But you've got to make sure you take care of the off the court stuff too, because if they don't like each other, they're not going to share the ball. They're not going to be in help side. They're not going to talk. And so those are those are issues you have to to work on each and every day. Yeah. A- another thing I put here, Tony, was. Uh, just because you have talent doesn't mean you just roll the balls out and go. Um, you 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 cannot just assume. Well, we should be talented. We should be able to do this. We should be able to do that. Uh, those kids know they're good, Tony. You know, and so you have to at times. And I hope this makes sense. There there are times where you have to overcoach the details to your really talented teams to get them to have the urgency. And the concentration level, and to not let anything slip by them, and 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 sometimes those are really really frustrating seasons where you just can't get everybody to understand the 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 urgency that is necessary because they think the talent will just carry them. Uh, does that make sense, Tony? Yeah, I mean you got to get them on the same page, um, you know, and it, it takes what it takes. Greatness, uh, success. It takes what it takes, and there are no shortcuts there. Um, you've got to take the stairs. There's not an elevator process oh, in this that. thing. Love and that. you've got to get the kids to buy into that. And if they don't, they're not going to get to where they can get to. And, again, it may require some tough love. It may require some other things that come in there. But, yeah, you've got to, you've got to take every step. You can't skip the steps. Hold on, I'm writing that down right now, buddy. So just just bear with me, listeners. i got to write this down before. Uh, the Pearls of Wisdom from one Tony D. Viss. Uh, it happens very rare. Oh, no, it, it, it happens. Don't get me. I, I've seen that brilliance work at all hours of the day and night, it, it, you know. <laughs> no details necessary in that regard. No, we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else on that one, buddy? No, I, I think we, you know, we, we hit there and again, it, it takes what it takes, you know, success, you know, uh, greatness, it takes what it takes and you cannot shortchange it. You cannot skip steps. Yep. Overspecialization can hurt athletes. Is it a myth or is it a truth? I believe it to be true. Yep. Um, you know, I take a look at a variety of things and, you know, I can kind of cut to the chase on this one with overspecialization. 
your arm only has so many certain things in it, whether it's tossing a ball or whether it is swinging at a ball or whether it's whatever. And if you continue to just use one set of muscles by playing a sport 365 days out of the year, you are going to get hurt. There's no doubt about that. And I'm talking more of a, a physical hurt, and I'll get to some of the other stuff here in a second. But all you have to do is look at the number of the increase in orthopedic surgeries. And a lot of it's due to over-specialization where, you know, they're they're pitching X number of days a year. They're playing volleyball every weekend and, and multiple times during the week as well and different things like that. But, yeah, I believe over-specialization can hurt them physically, but I also believe it hurts them athletically as well, mm. where, you know, you see this where kids decide to, to you know, focus in on one and they're not nearly as athletic and that hurts them in their, their specialization sport. Um, and so you, you see that as well. And so uh, I'm just not a big fan of, of, of specialization at the high school level, I can maybe see it more so junior, senior year, but I believe that, that junior high and high school are about trying things and figuring out, you know, what your your passion and your joy and, and what brings you joy and things like that. And so I'm just not a big fan of, of the specialization. I think it, it harms kids in, in a variety of ways. I think it, it lessens their athletics athleticism i'm sorry it hurts them in terms of the orthopedic surgeries like i mentioned earlier and uh just just it's not healthy yeah i i cannot agree with you more uh what do we do in sport we're supposed to play sports right and i think what specialization has done it has taken the play out of playing sports uh it's a business it's it's an investment it's 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 a job our kids at times feel like these are jobs and because of the specialization now again it's it's a it is a it is a fine line that we walk because you also know tony that you need your players that are going to put in time on the AAU circuit just like i do in order to really have really good teams right you know mm-hmm. so you you need it but you also want to make sure that your your kids are enjoying themselves and and playing basketball it's it's not working basketball we tell them we want to play basketball right so uh i i've seen it a lot at, at my at my old job uh private school very affluent area in in omaha and i would often see kids who uh you know, you'd be going in, and I taught a lot of juniors and seniors, so it'd be like, hey, are you looking to play uh, volleyball, basketball, uh, football, whatever it may be, after high school? Who are you thinking about, you know, where are you thinking about going, what do you think about playing? They're like, I don't know how many times I heard Tony, I'm done. You know, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of playing, you know? Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, we've kind of bred a, a system where that, is pretty evident in a lot of places. And again, it's it's a fine line to walk, but I, I think that if you have a kid, un, unless you are getting invited to try out for a, a Team USA type of deal, like if you're at that level, okay, I understand that that's specialization you're talking about. Regardless of the sport, at this point, you're probably going to make a lot of money doing that if you're, if you're that good at it, okay? Or you've got an opportunity to. So that at that level, if you want to specialize and really put all your eggs in one basket, I get it. But if if you're not, if you're anything below that, 
if you want to play a sport, go play a sport. Uh, play until uh, play if you like it, and and I, I think that's just a message we need to hammer home with more and more athletes and parents. Hundred percent. You know, is the fact that you are seeing kids burn out both physically and mentally from that. But like you mentioned, Marty, we have to be careful, too, from the standpoint of, you know, if if we're going to have success, we need some kids that play some AAU. But I also think you have to get your coaches to be willing to work. Like if Mm -hmm. the kid loves volleyball, we have to be willing to work if they need to, you know, do some things and go play, go to to AAU volleyball practice or whatever the case may be. There's got to be a little bit of flexibility built in there, too, when we're going to turn around and maybe ask the volleyball coach or the softball coach or whomever to allow them to go in and play some AAU tournaments for basketball. And so, yep. you know, we have to be careful that the, the, the bread is buttered on both sides, so to speak. Yeah, that communication piece is really important. And what I really like about uh, the situation we have in our in our current situation, we, we had about, I want to say... But from eighth grade through seniors, I think we had 10 or 11 of our girls playing AAU this summer, something like that, Tony, right around that ballpark area. Mm-hmm. All of those kids play at least one other sport, and most of them do two other sports. And and so I think what – and again, we're a smaller school. I understand that. But what I think we've really been able to achieve at our place is a good balance of – because we have to share. We're not a Millard West. We're not a Cedar Rapids Kennedy where we're a class 4A, 5A uh, school. Uh, we realize that we've got to share our kids and we've got to work together and we've got to communicate. And we we do, a, I really believe our, our high school coaching staff has done a phenomenal job of emphasizing kids to not specialize and to go out. And if you love playing the sport, if you like playing the sport, Go out and play it, and we're gonna we're gonna find a way to make it work, and and that's what I really like about where I'm at right now. So, mm-hmm. um, anything else on that one? I would just encourage you know young athletes to make sure that they are trying those things, and it's not always just athletics. It might be band or theater or choir or whatever the case may yep. be. Yep. You know, just to figure out what those passions and joys are in their life, and to work themselves toward that way and then when they get into college if they're so fortunate because again it's less than 10 percent of kids are able to play a college sport at any level um then they can they can make that choice if need be Mm -hmm. last one here coaching is more than x's and o's uh tony that is a stone cold lock it down truth uh i think a mistake that a lot of coaches make, and I will fully admit, definitely a mistake I made as a younger coach, is you think it's all about the X's and O's. You you think it's all about running the perfect system. If they just run these plays, or if they just run this offense, or if they just run this defense, we're going to be successful. Uh, it's about connecting people. It's about making people feel good about themselves. It's about cohesiveness, playing hard. You know, just stuff we say, getting 1% better every day, uh, you know, habits, being organized, all of those different things. Man, I, I really wish I could, at, at almost 50, not quite 50 yet, Tony, got a couple weeks left, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I wish I, could, I wish I could go back to when I was 
32, 33, and I was really getting into it as a head coach, and I thought I was doing a good job at it, and 17, 18 years later, man, there's a lot of things I'd go back and change and do a lot differently, and um, and a lot of that has to deal with just the emphasis on the perfect play, the perfect, the perfect offense, the perfect transition offense, you know, those type of things, and again, that's important, just like having kids play AAU, just like having parent support, just like tough love. Uh, you need talent and all of these different things that we've talked about in this podcast, but, and you got to execute offensively, defensively, special teams, but it's, it's so much more than X's and O's. It's so much more than X's and O's. Yeah. Um, I would, I would be in that same boat that you were talking about just how much emphasis on X and O's. Oh man, if we we do this, we're going to be way better next year than what we were this year because we're going to have the perfect zone offense or the perfect out-of-bounds plays or we're going to run the best scrambled defense or, or whatever the case may be. And it's just, it's off kilter. I'll be honest, if I was an AD and I was looking to hire a coach, um, don't get me wrong, X and O's are going to be a part of that conversation. The relationship building is probably going to be a higher priority uh, on my list in terms of who I'm looking for to fill that that head coaching seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and so I think coaches when, uh, and I think Tony brings up a great point. Yeah, you got to have a a bit of an X's and O's plan, but when you go into that interview, make sure you know how you're going to build a culture, what your organization style going to be, what your communication style is going to be, because those are the things that are ultimately going to lead to your sex you success. Excuse me, uh, but you know, uh, you can find plays anywhere. You can go to yes. pen and a napkin almost every day. I got to play up there for you. And if you if you see 300 tweets throughout the year, you're going to have 300 plays, and you should be able to find 10 plays that work for you. Uh, so it, it's it's about a lot of those things that you talked about, buddy. And, you know, it's just those things where, um, where our time should be spent. X and O's, um, again, important, but should not eat up the vast majority of your time. Uh, relationship building, uh, you know, you mentioned some of those things that we talked about earlier, uh, how to include and involve parents successfully, uh, how to build a positive culture, um, how to motivate, um, you know, yeah, those those things are super important and stuff that you better be well-versed in um, if you want to last in this profession in a, a while and have what you would be able to look in the mirror and define as success. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Well, I can tell you the very definition of success, Mr. Viss. You know who that is. Obviously, Europe. What a great, just, that is success defined right there. Our, our Swedish definitely. friends. 
Yes, not the Swedish chef, just our Swedish friends from Europe. So. Swedish chef is pretty successful. Dorfty, 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 dorf, 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 dorf. He was the best of the Muppets. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, I was also par- always partial to uh, Animal. I always thought Animal was pretty Ooh, Animal's right there, too, I would agree. <laughs> Can't understand either one of them, but they're really funny. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Baby, as a young child, I was just misunderstood. <laughs> A little bit later than usual, 43 minutes. All right. It's not bad for us. This is actually pretty good. Okay. Uh, Trivia this week. Uh, Mr. Viss started thinking a little bit ahead to uh, the upcoming women's basketball season, women's college basketball season. I thought, hmm. And I actually took a little deep dive to do this. Uh, That probably took me about... 20 minutes of research to actually find this answer, Tony. Oh, boy. All right. So, since the advent of the NCAA tournament in women's basketball, now the first answer, this is a two-parter here. The, which program has been the number one overall seed in the women's NCAA tournament the most times? I'm going to go UConn. You are correct. Now, do you want to take a guess? Now, there's been, I think, I think this year might be the 40th NCAA tournament, or last year was the 40th NCAA tournament for women. Okay. So, so, so we're just going to ballpark it at 40. Uh, how many times do you think UConn has been the number one overall seed out of 40 tournaments? Let's go with 10. Higher. 13. Higher. Seventeen, just off sixteen, by my wow. math. Yes, so uh, sixteen times out of forty. So uh, almost half of the, and, and that speaks to what Gino and his staff has done. Almost half of the NCAA tournaments. Again, this is kind of me, kind of ballpark. Okay, UConn's undefeated. You know, this school has two losses. You know, they were the only undefeated team going into the tournament, so they'd be the number one overall seed. That's kind of how I did this, Tony. So mm. uh, 16 times out of approximately 40 NCAA tournaments, they've been the number one overall seed. So, Dang. Because, uh, I mean, Pat Summit had it rolling in her day, too. And then, not that they haven't been successful lately, but they haven't been as successful since Stewie graduated. Yes. Um, speaking of Tennessee, they were... They were tied for second. Them, by, by again, by my history teacher, sports nerd math, uh, Tennessee, Texas, and Baylor were the overall number one seed three times apiece. <laughs> I would have guessed higher for Tennessee. Yep, and I thought that too, but I just said, you know, just, you know, Tennessee was really good. And, and I think a lot of that came, like, during the, the three Meeks era, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, but yeah, that was kind of my that was kind of my rough history teacher math. So if I got that trivia question wrong, I apologize to a degree because it was a bit of a guesstimation. So if somebody wants to fact check me, go ahead. Um, but to that I say, How about that? so Tony, our our twib segment this week, um, we've got uh, we we I'll I'll let you lead, Tony. Uh, WNBA, 
Olympic basketball or college basketball? Which one do you want to go with first? Let's go WNBA first. All right. So we are recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, it is game one of the WNBA finals is in the books. Uh, I don't know how much of the game you got to see, Tony. I got to see about the last 14 minutes of the game. Uh, Las Vegas really pulled away. It's like I turned it on and they started kicking the crap out of the Liberty. Uh, they really took it up a notch there. Emerald Lagasse style. Um, I don't, I think that is the exception, not the rule for, uh, the duration of the finals in my opinion, but, uh, the, the, the aces look pretty dominant on Sunday afternoon. I would agree. Um, the thing that you have to factor in, I think that was game six between the two teams, if I'm if I remember correctly. Something like that. And the closest game between them has been nine points. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that we're gonna get some closer games here, but their recent history does not lead me to think that that might be likely. I really hope for it because these are two super talented teams, maybe the two most talented teams that have ever been in the WNBA Finals. Yeah. But when one of them gets rolling, they just tear the other one apart. And like you mentioned, it was a tale of two halves. First half, tightly contested. Like, okay, we're going to get a good one. And then all of a sudden, the Aces took them to the woodshed. Yeah. In the second half, and I don't know if they broke the, the Liberty spirit, or if the Liberty will be motivated by that to try to steal game two. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a, a, a good game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think uh, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I kind of thought Stewie and Asia Wilson would kind of counsel each other out. Uh, I thought we'd kind of come down between Chelsea Gray and Jackie Young versus um, Janquel Jones and, and who played better in that particular matchup. And on Sunday, it was definitely the guards from Las Vegas rather than the post play from New York, and that was the real separator there. Um Game two, I, I don't think it's unexpected for the home team to win game game one. The old adage is you go in, you try to get a split if you're the road team in the first two games, and, and now New York's got to win tomorrow night. So um, by the time folks hear this, you'll you'll know where we're at. It's either going to be 2-0 Las Vegas or 1-1 and, and heading back to New York. One last comment, and I don't mean to be negative here, but I don't know who scheduled these, the, the dates and stuff. You have game one and game three on a Sunday. You're really going to have them compete against the NFL, and then you throw game two on a Wednesday. Yeah. You know, you've had the highest viewed regular season in WNBA history, and then you trot out these three dates for your first three games. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, there, there probably could have been something better done. Um, yeah, going up against the NFL, and this is supposed to be your marquee matchup. I, I, I concur in spades, Mr. Viss. Uh, boy, we're just getting along terribly well today uh, with, with our points. So I, We're not being Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon. Yeah, we're seasoned and experienced, but not that seasoned and experienced. So, <laughs> so. Um, WNBA expansion, Golden State and Portland. Thoughts? I think those are two really good markets. Uh, the Golden State one really intrigues me because I think you have an owner there that's going to get behind it. Yep. And you're seeing more and more owners that are willing to do that. You know, and the other thing that I'll point out too, Tom Brady is a minority owner of the Las Vegas Aces. I thought that was a really cool thing there. But I really think that's a good one. And then uh, Portland, I think, can be a, a, a nice fit as well. They used to have a team there um and so it's good to see them go back you know somebody had mentioned why not put one in iowa and put caitlin clark on that but you know we just don't have the population markets that some of the other places do but i i like 
especially like the Golden State one. I think the Portland one, um, you know, I think it's going to be a positive, but I want to want to hold off on that one for a minute. Yeah, I, I don't think you can lose uh, putting something in, in Golden State right now. Uh, they've been the dominant franchise the last eight years or so. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that's a great place to put it. I think it's got to be in a WN or it's got to be in an NBA city. Uh, I, I don't think you can have a W. I, I think it's very difficult. And, and as I say that, like I know Las Vegas doesn't have an NBA franchise. Just wait about three years. They're going to have one in about two or three years. So that's yeah, that's talking, that, that's putting a done. team back in Seattle and then Las Vegas because they were talking yeah. about the NBA adding two teams as well. Yep. Yep. So. I, I agree with you, Tony. Um, yeah, it should be good. So, uh, Team USA making some noise. We'll, we'll start with uh, Joel Embiid uh, committing to Team USA over Cameroon and most notably France. Um, I I think that's going to be a pretty good pickup for Team USA. We were a little weak in the post area. We were playing Josh Hart at the stretch four at about 6'5 uh, at the uh, World Cup. Uh, I, I think... I think uh, we're going to bring a little bit more firepower to Paris than we did to the Philippines. And and uh, I, I think Embiid, if healthy, now again, you know, part of the knock against him as an NBA player is he hasn't been healthy at the end of the year, so therefore the, the Sixers haven't done well. And he's dealt with some, you know, some of them have been freak injuries, but nonetheless he's been hurt. And, uh, you know, so hopefully he's healthy and ready to go for Team USA next summer. I think he, can, I think he has a chance to be a, a tremendous uh, international post player. Yeah, he's he's a modern post player from the fact that he's not just a back to the basket guy. He can step out. Um, I know his his passing is maybe a little underrated, uh-huh. but like you mentioned, uh, you know his his health has been a concern. So we'll be interested to see you know going in the you know how the the toll that the NBA season takes on his body, and then on top of that, you know the the Olympics it, it goes pretty quick as far as. The games and stuff that they play and the yeah, time off and different things. Play every other um, day. Yeah, people had mentioned maybe uh, the Lopez brother that plays for the Bucks might have been a better fit uh, because of the fact, again, there's one basketball and you're going to have five super talented guys that are all used to scoring it. So they're all going to have to maybe buy into a little bit lesser role mm-hmm. as far as things go. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes together. But yeah. Uh, a huge upgrade over what we sent to the Philippines. Yeah, speaking of roles, I thought it was interesting. The other big Olympic thing is uh, apparently Grant Hill is pursuing Drew Holiday uh, for a possible spot. Now, what my interpretation of that is, here's a guy, consummate pro, consummate teammate. If he's player 11 or 12, he's probably going to be really good with that, and he's not going to raise a stink. All is going to be really, really good. But my goodness, if, if he's your 11th or 12th guy, your 1 through one through 10 or 1 through 11 are probably pretty salty because I'm a big Drew Holiday fan, not just because he got traded to the Celtics. I've always really liked him as a player. And, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting that that kind of leaked out uh, earlier this week as well. You know, I, I think his role is a little bit bigger than maybe what we might be anticipating. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Grant Hill is really going after him, and they thought he was the second most important player on the team to the gold medal team that Kevin Durant yep. led. Yep. And uh, 
they really like him because of his defense. He can guard the ball. And as you saw in the Philippines, we had a hard time uh, keeping people in front of the ball. And so uh, I think the Drew Holiday pickup is an underrated pickup uh, if he decides to play. But like you mentioned, um, they've got a, a super, super talented group, and he will definitely be an off-the-bench guy. But I don't. he might be a little bit higher than 11-12 area. Yeah, okay. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, well, I tell you what, Tony, we're, we're starting to get a little long. Uh, I was just going to talk about the shrinking transfer, transfer portal, but uh, that's something we can talk about it some other time. You know, no big deal. Yeah. So uh, let's preview the NBA Southwest. We are in our third or this is our fourth week of NBA previews. And, uh, you know, we, we are now in the Western Conference. Uh, we we kind of uh, we found a way to kind of time this up pretty well, Tony. Well, our last preview will lead right into uh, the start of the regular season. So hey, uh, chalk one up for the for the coaching staff here. We did pretty well on that one. So you got to give yourself a pat on the back. That's you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Here, listen to this. <laughs> there it is. That's me patting myself on the back. So. Um, I think this has a chance to be a pretty interesting division. I don't think there's a great team. I don't think there's a finals type of team. Um, but I think everybody's going to be kind of decent. Um, some have more. Uh, if they're kind of decent, some uh, a couple of these teams are going to be really happy. And if they're only kind of decent, a couple of these teams are going to be really, really disappointed, and we're probably going to see some heads roll, so to speak. So uh, who did you have for fifth place in the NBA Southwest, Tony? This was a a tough one. Um, You know, some of the ones that we've done have been pretty easy, but this was a tough one. Um, I like this team. I think they're on the rise. The the reason I'm going to put them fifth is I don't know how much – when Ben Yama is going to play, I've heard they're going to do some load management with him and different things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't quite think the roster around him is fantastic. There's some nice young pieces, but I think they're they're a few years away from being a pretty scary team out west. So I have the San Antonio Spurs in the fifth spot. As did I. I, I think they're in the fifth spot by a hair. I think they would probably like to go one more draft cycle um before they really try to go all in and and really try to win heavily uh, uh the Johnson kid I really like him as a nice co-star to Wembenyama um did you watch Holmgren and Wembenyama play last night at all Tony I did the yeah. first half they put on a show wow and they don't like each other I oh did yeah not know that yeah. they do not yeah. like each other um which you know, couple of couple of unicorns out there making things a little spicy, if you will. Nothing like a little sports hate, you know. So, 
but like you, Tony, I could not put the the Spurs any higher than that. I I think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna be as bad as they have been. Uh, I I think you're gonna see a significant step up. But they're 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 definitely multiple pieces away from really contending. Uh, but they have the centerpiece, and they've kind of got the co-star. They've got a nice role player in that Devin Vassell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they let some other guys develop around that that core three, and you know they're they're really really young. The only guy that's not young is Pop, and it would be great for nostalgic guys like you and I to see Pop make one more big run here. But I I, I like that. So um, in fourth, I had Houston. Um, Me too. Yep. Uh, I I just uh, I couldn't put them any higher than that. I like some of the moves, and more specifically, one non-move that they made, uh, not re-signing James Harden to come back to uh, to Houston. I, I just think that would have been a step backwards. I mean, it would have been a short-term step forward, but I think it would have been two steps backward. I would have, th- I, I think, it would have taken the ball out of Jalen Green's hands. Uh, would have taken. Uh, a roll away from Jabari Smith. I think the couple of veterans that they did sign, I think Fred Van Vliet is a, a pro's pro, and I think he's going to be a, a great fit. Uh, Dylan Brooks, not a fan, but I do understand the signing. Uh, if he plays TMUSA internationally, he's, it's a great signing. You know, he, he didn't miss that day. Uh, but but if, if he doesn't work out, you move on. You know, they didn't sign him to such an obnoxious contract that you can't get rid of him. But uh, I think the the Van Vliet signing, the Harden non-signing, uh, Jabari Smith took a real huge step forward at Summer League this summer and hopefully he carries that through. Shengun, uh, Jalen Green, I, and, and Ime Adoka is going to be the adult in the room and he's going to uh, take this ship in a direction that it hasn't been going the last two or three years. And there's going to be some accountability and and I, I like the direction that the that the uh, franchise is going. I would echo that. Um, I feel that you know I, this is the only thing I agree with Dylan Brooks on is he said he the Houston reminds him a few years ago of Memphis when they made their climb up as a young hungry uh, team on the rise, and I think Houston has that potential. Um, I am not a big Dylan Brooks guy. I don't know if you saw it. He got ejected from the. Uh, exhibition game tonight for hitting a guy in the nether regions yeah i um, just i did see that while we were talking yes so yeah but i love fred van vliet you talk about an underdog uh you know a guy who was not drafted and signed the largest contract of an undrafted player uh Adoka may have had made some bad decisions in boston off the court uh but he can coach i mean he has pops trust and that says a lot um, but I'm, I'm probably a year or two away from moving them out of that four spot. But I, I do like them. They've got some some really nice pieces around them. And like you said, they didn't sign Dylan Brooks to a bloated contract that uh, you know that, that can really cripple them uh, if it doesn't work out. They can move on. Yep. Who you got in third? I'm interested to hear this, Tony. This is kind of where things get really interesting. Who you got? I went Dallas. Um, As you know, did I. I just I okay. look back at the evidence at the end of the year last year, and I, I'm just not buying them um the whole pairing of Kyrie and Luca are they two 
you know, very talented players. Oh, yeah, probably two of the top five to eight most talented players in the NBA, no doubt about that. But their pairing together uh, didn't seem great. I think they've got some uh, chemistry pieces around them. You know, I think Grant Williams from the Celtics is a good piece for them. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got some some various things in there that I think is going to be better. I thought the draft was decent for them. Yeah, I um, like I like them getting that lively kid from Duke. Yep, yep. That's a you know the the lob position where you throw it up out of the short corner and he goes up and gets it. Uh, but yeah, I I just don't I don't see him any higher than third. You know, I I think Luca is uber talented. I think he's a future MVP. I think once he and when I say mature, I think he's a mature basketball player. Like he he sees the game like like you know the Terminator. You know you, you just see him just making calculations. Okay, throw it here. I mean he's he's ahead of LeBron in that regard at this point of his development in in the way he reads defenses. He's almost impossible to guard in, in that vein. Just you can't you can't do that. Uh, I'm LeBron's a more talented, a more a greater athlete. I mm-hmm. let me, you know, let me be clear, but uh, just the way Luca can set up people. Uh, but until Luca matures on the floor, quits complaining to officials all the time, uh, gets in better shape, plays better defense, he's he's going to be stuck in this you know big stats team struggles type of situation. In my opinion, um, Kyrie, uh, we don't have enough memory on the the computer to talk about Kyrie and the way I feel about him let's just say I'm glad he's not on the Celtics anymore um I I I just I where he has gone with the exception of Cleveland in 2016 uh things have not gone well it's just been and the best indication of your future behavior is your past behavior you know Mm -hmm. I I really like the Grant Williams signing I think he's a, a really good piece really perfect complimentary role player to go along with those two guys but i just don't see enough around that and just the um the flaws in luca's game and 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 the way he's done things and and kyrie the same way i i I think as talented as they are they're two very flawed players at times and and that's a pretty tough thing to overcome when that's your two best players uh especially in in the way the talent is in the NBA right now. And the big thing is I would not describe Luca as a two-way player. Like he right. does not compete hard enough for me on the defensive end. And until that becomes a higher priority for him, um, you know, I, but offensively he, he's brilliant. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yep. In second, Tony, I had the new Orleans Pelicans. Yes. That's where I had him as well. And, you know, I was really torn though, uh, there was part of me that said, man, if they could just stay healthy and stay together and have, you know, things we talk about with our teams, great role acceptance. Brandon Ingram is really good. Herb Jones is a great defender. Zion, of course, is the guy that they just haven't had. Uh, Valanchunas is still a space eater. He had a dominant World Cup. CJ McCollum is still a quality guard. Uh, they've got great depth. They've got Trey Murphy the third. Of course, he got he's 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 out. Uh, he suffered a pretty significant injury, I believe. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. I've always liked him as a good role player coming off the bench. Alvarado, I really like this team, but they just haven't been able to put all the pieces together all at the same time and get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction at the same time. And that's why you can't put any more trust in them. 
if you could tell me that Zion was going to play 70 games, yep, I would put them at one. Yep. Because I think it is the most talented team in the Southwest, and I don't know if it's close. Yep. Um, but I you know Zion's played less than 40 games a year for the last however many seasons. Yep. And due to that fact, I can't buy into that. And so that's why I also had the New Orleans Pelicans at number two in the Southwest. Yep. And when you can't have that cohesiveness, you can't build that culture in the way that you would like, I think they have a lot of good things in place, but that's kind of the difference between them and Memphis. Now, Memphis has the, uh, you know, they've got jaw out for the first 25 games, and and he's got a lot of maturing to do. Uh, They did get Marcus Spark. Marcus Smart, excuse me, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., defending NBA uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Steven Adams, if he can stay healthy, he's just an offensive rebounding machine. They got Luke Kennard coming off the bench that can really shoot it. Desmond Bain has been really, really good as a low first-round draft pick. He's come out and had a tremendous career. Um, they are the p- pitcher-perfect small market team. In the NBA, they they have they have hit home run after home run after home run in the draft. They've developed their own player. They've made smart trades, um, and, and that's just and, and they've been able to keep a lot of their important pieces, other than Ja Morant, healthy, and everybody on the same page. And and I think that's just that's the difference between them and New Orleans, two small market franchises, and Memphis has just kind of won that cultural battle to a degree a little bit. I like Memphis's style of play. Um, they really get up and down. Well, uh, you mentioned Dylan Brooks earlier and I go by the old addition by subtraction. And I think that's going to help them. Um, you know, as far as things go, uh, then Marcus smart, uh, coming in, I think that, that grindhouse mentality that they used to have before they became, you know, super fast with the tempo and everything. Uh, another underrated one is Derek Rose. Uh, He's on that team. Now he'll be the adult in the room. Like you mentioned earlier, and I like that piece to maybe get Jaw under his wing and to mentor him. Um, and so I, I see some some good things there with Memphis, and I think it's kind of a make or break. Their their window is closing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they need to step in there. I just I feel like for them, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Suns, and the Nuggets are all better yep. than them currently. Yep, and you can maybe even say Sacramento's better. Yes, I forgot the the Kings are definitely on the rise. Yeah, so. All right, Tony, great stuff as always. Uh, great discussion. You know, we went into depth on a lot of different things. I hope coaches will, will take a lot of this stuff here. Um, uh, you know, coaching myth it was, was the theme of tonight's episode. And, uh, man, I, I, I just think we hit, I think we hit a lot of good things. Uh, any, anything you want to close with, buddy? You know, I've, if, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Greg Bird, if you're not following that guy on Twitter, you're missing out on some really, really good stuff. Um, it's just a chance to sit there and think through this stuff a little bit deeper. And uh, he's got some some foundational pieces in there that, that all coaches from all experience levels can definitely benefit from. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So uh, episode number 59, Coaching Myths. Um, Great, great discussion here. One of our longer episodes, but we had we had so many. We knew we were going to go long tonight because we had so many things that we had to talk about. So a lot of good stuff. If you got any questions for Tony and I, you know how to get a hold of us either on Twitter uh, or you can email me at penandnapkin at gmail Hope you folks enjoyed this episode. Always good to 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 wrap here with my good friend Mister Viss and and discuss things. And we'll be back episode number sixty 
Next week, we'll figure out something, and we'll have something good for you. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.